for those who I haven't met yet, my name's Brian, and I don't want to step on these really pretty light bulbs. Um, thanks, worship team, for leading us this morning. That, that last song, um, I just think it was so powerful, the idea that God's constantly moving towards us, and that, um, man, we've never known a love like yours. It's just really powerful, and uh, hope you're able to meditate on those words and not just sing them so that they can really infiltrate your heart. Um, I've been thinking about this, this phrase this week. Um, the gospel is after the freedom of our heart, not just the external, um, the, the external actions that our life produces. The gospel is about the freedom of your heart, the freedom of your soul, the freedom of your life. The gospel is after freedom. We're on a series the last several months um, about journal, about, about, not journaling, a journey to freedom. We're going through the book of Exodus and talking about how, what it looks like with these, we're, we're tracking these, these people called the Israelites and we're tracking their, their, their time from slavery until they get to freedom. And I was talking to my wife last, last Sunday after Dave spoke and, and learning about how that God just desires for us to have freedom in our lives. And the Ten Commandments, which we're in the middle of right now, the whole point of that is to give this people called the Israelites. They've been in slavery for 40, or in 400 years. In bondage and in slavery for 400 years. And now they've been given freedom. Under Moses, their leader who brought them out of slavery, they're given freedom. And God gives them the Ten Commandments as a way to give them order in their society and give them order in their, among their people. And he starts out by saying that do not worship any other God except for me. Do not take the name of the Lord, the, the name of the Lord in vain. Last week, a couple weeks ago, Matt spoke about how the, to remember the Sabbath and how you're supposed to rest and make it set apart time for you to contemplate and think about God and just rest. Last week, Dave talked about how one of the ways that we're supposed to order our lives and order society is to be able to honor your mom and dad, your mother and your father, or those in authority in your life. And then the next five commandments are all talking about how we're supposed to deal with each other. And so we're going to talk about the first one today. Um, A couple of months ago, I had surgery on my knee. I had microfracture surgery on my knee two months ago, and I was on crutches for a month. And um, that was a long month. Um, nothing like Andrea, who's been on crutches for like eight months. But I was on crutches for merely a month, um, which is for my family was way too long. Um, but during that month, I had to be creative on how to get stuff done around the house and how to get stuff done with my job. Luckily, it was my left knee, so I was able to drive still with my right foot. I don't know what life would have been wouldn't have been like for a month without being able to drive, but there was times when, like, I'd make uh, breakfast for my daughter and I in the morning. She's three, um, and the most beautiful thing in the world. Um, but Avery, I would train her. She would, we, I would make our breakfast, and then she would have to carry our breakfast to the table to have dinner or breakfast. And, uh, Whole, the whole way, please don't drop that breakable bowl. Please don't drop it and spill milk all over the place. But we did it. So we had to be creative on how we got stuff done. 
The weekend that I got off my crutches was like freedom weekend for me. It's amazing how much we rely on being able to simply walk. Just to walk up and down the stairs and not have to take crutches or take five extra minutes to try to get you and the kids in the car with your own crutches. It's just amazing. But God wants us to have that same type of freedom in our life. He wants us to be able to have a freedom to walk in him and to walk with freedom in our heart and our soul. And the essence of today's message is about that, of giving you and me freedom to be able to walk in our, in our life. And so the, the commandment we're talking about today is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And it's just three simple words. It says, do not murder. Just don't murder. You might be thinking like, yeah, I've got that one. <laughs> I've got it. And if you don't have that one down, then come and see Jim later. Don't come talk to me. <laughs> Go see Jim in the back. And um, I had nothing to do with it. But why are we not to murder? Why not murder? It's not because we as a collective group, I hope it's a collective group, If you don't think it's collective, then go again. See, Jim. But as a collective group, we think that it's wrong. We think that the essence of murder is wrong. But just because a whole group thinks that's wrong doesn't mean that's the wrong thing to do. Groups throughout history think that there's something they're supposed to do that's right or something they're supposed to do that's wrong, and it was the farthest cry from being truth. So why is murder wrong? At 5 o'clock this morning, the answer to that question was what changed the rest of the message for me of why murder is wrong. And I really think that the Bible gives us a unique and objective view on why murder is wrong. Not just because it says don't murder. But I think the bottom line behind the curtain, the main reason why murder is wrong is because human beings are made in the image of God. Clearly that. Genesis 1, verse 27, the very first chapter of the Bible, it says, God created man, which means human beings, man and female. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, when God created the world and when he created all the animals and plants and the moon and the stars and the sun and everything else in it, he also created man and he created woman and he created us as image bearers of himself. So when he created us, he put part of us in him. He created us as image bearers. He put his stamp of approval on us as the human race. He created us as image bearers in his image. And so when, you, when someone is murdered, the reason why that is so wrong is it's, you're taking away the, and somebody who's created in the image of God. So you're not just sinning against that person by taking away their life. You're actually sinning against God because he's the image bearer of himself. Uh, you're you're sin, sinning against God because they're image bearers of himself. So the main bottom line reason in a spiritual world of why murder is wrong is because God created you and I and every human being on this world for the entire eternity of the world as an image bearer of the king. 
God so loves humanity that when you wrong a human, human, you're also wronging God. So why is murder wrong? It's because we're human. We're God's image bearers. Jesus expounds on this a lot further when he talks about what does it mean. He gives us some implications and ramifications of this whole idea of do not murder. So in Matthew chapter 5, it's going to be on the screen, Jesus gives us a few verses in a famous, his most famous message. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus expounds on do not murder. It says this, You have heard it that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus is talking to the people who are very familiar with the Old Testament. Jesus really believes in the Old Testament and, and he abides by it. And so when he's talking about do not murder, he's like, you've heard this and you all agree that murder requires judgment. I would assume that we would all agree with that as well. We all agree that the fact that murder is wrong and that it's supposed to be judged. But God loves you so much that he doesn't want you, he wants you to have freedom. And he wants you to have freedom in, in your heart. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about how that you know that you're not supposed to murder, but let's take it a step further. You're not even supposed to be angry in your heart. And all week long I've been thinking about the word, the, the idea of anger, and I'm like, I'm not an angry person, and so how am I supposed to talk about anger? I'm, not an, I'm personally not a really angry person. And I think the anger comes out in a lot of different ways. And all week long, I've watched that in my own life. I, I think that angry, anger can come out as a person who's red in the face, screaming and yelling, angry. We see, that, we see the, the depiction of that a lot. When I think of anger, I think of someone who's yelling and screaming and red in the face. But I think anger can also come out with somebody stewing. Just a really quiet anger. And anger can come out like it did with me this week when somebody cut me off in the road of like, what are you doing? And I throw up the, the hands to make sure that they can actually see me do that so that they know that they cut me off and that they did something wrong. But what is that really going to do? Nothing. But it shows in my heart that there's something wrong with me. On the way to church today, I accidentally cut somebody off and they were like, slow down to show me that they were angry at that. So I think anger comes in a lot of various ways. Anger also comes out with just what, our, what we're thinking. A frustration level at somebody. I think we dumb down anger a lot and we don't say, I'm angry with this person. We say, I'm frustrated with this person. Or, I'm annoyed with this person. Bottom line, you're angry at some level with that person. I'm angry at that person or at that situation. Jesus gives us two examples. He says this. He says, 
Anyone who says, in verse 22, anyone who says raka, and raka just means empty-minded. Anyone who says you empty-minded person, you will be judged. And then he says, if anyone says you fool, you will be judged. Now with this, Jesus is not saying here are two curse words, don't say them any longer. Because if he did, then we're set. We speak English, not Greek. We're fine with that now. But he's given you the idea of what you're saying or what you're thinking, whether it comes out of your mouth or not, demonstrates anger and demonstrates something going on in your own heart. It gives you an idea of like what is going on in your own heart. In Matthew, it talks about from out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you want to know what you're heart is, it's like what you want to say or what you are saying is a good indicator of what your heart is. Jesus shows us that anger comes out in our words and our minds. Jesus is talking about anger and actions and thoughts here in this passage that are really, it's really boiling down to like belittling, belittling somebody else and talking about directed insults to another person. I'm angry with somebody. When we're frustrated, annoyed, and anger, it's an indication of your heart, of what's going on in your heart, not just being justified for your actions. Several years ago, before Kale was born, Katie and I took a trip, a vacation, to Northern California, to San Francisco. And one day, we got to eat a lot of great food out there, um, but one day, we, we went north of San Francisco to uh, the edge of the redwood trees, if you've ever been out there, these giant, giant trees. There's a famous picture of like a road uh, that's built through one of these giant redwood trees. It's just huge, huge trees. And I was thinking about these redwood trees. They're massive trees. This seed that the redwood trees are from are very, very different than the giant redwoods. I mean, minuscule seeds compared to these giant redwoods. But those, every one of those redwood trees comes from a tiny little seed. Every one of them. Every one of the trees in your front yard, your backyard, that you drove, all the trees that you drove by getting here to church this morning, all come from a seed. So what I think Jesus is talking about mainly here in Matthew chapter 5 is like, we all know that murder is wrong. But the seed, the source of murder, is anger and resentment towards somebody else. You may not go out and murder today. This is what Jesus is saying. You might not going to go out and murder today, but the seed, the source of murder, is anger and resentment. And so that's what he's getting at. He's taking a step behind the curtain and saying, if you want to see the source of murder that we all agree is wrong, it's anger and resentment. And if you want to deal, you need to deal with that to be able to have freedom in your own heart. Jesus is saying that when we are angry, it's the same seed or source as murder. Right after Garden of Eden, Way back in Genesis chapter 4. 
we have a story of Cain and Abel. Verse 3, it says this. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from the, some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with, fa- look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? You know the story, Cain goes on and he murders his brother Abel. But we see in that story that the seed, the source of the murder that God was actually trying to attack and lean into was anger. Anger actually that had nothing to do with Abel. It was an anger about and, and, and developed from Cain. The source, the seed of murder, the seed of this commandment, do not murder, comes out as anger and frustration, annoyance, resentment, bitterness. So today, whoops, there goes some water. So today, what are you angry about? What are you, what are you angry about? What are you bitter about? What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? You may like come out like back at home or with your roommates or with your kids or with your family yelling and screaming up, getting upset about something. Maybe just stewing about it and like, I'm going to pretend everything's okay, but deep down inside, I'm angry about something. What is that anger? What is it? Biblically, there's a righteous anger. That's actually okay. In the Bible, it talks about anger. It talks about how God is actually slow to anger. So there's got to be some anger that's actually okay. So is Jesus contradicting himself here? We talk about how God is slow to anger. But then why is Jesus talking about and honing in on the fact that when you're angry, it's the same as murder? carries a big offense. I think the biblical anger looks quite different than the anger that we think about. The biblical anger talks about bless those who hurt you and pray for those while you're doing good. Bless those that hurt you. God's anger is almost always directed towards sin because of the destruction it causes to the humanity that he loves and he bears their image. God's anger is not towards a person. God's anger is towards the sin in that person, or that person, what that person does. God's anger is slow, it's specific, and towards sin. Oftentimes, man, when we get angry, it's very quick. It's usually generalized, and it's built around yourself. It's not... With God in mind, your anger is oftentimes, my anger is oftentimes built around myself. About things that I get frustrated by. Things that are annoyance to me. If someone doesn't do something that I want them to do, I get inside like, 
Oh, it makes me upset. Quick to anger. Quick to respond. Tim Keller, in his book, The Healing of Anger, said something really interesting. And I've had to think about it a lot this week. He says this, In its uncorrupted origin, anger is actually a form of love. I'll say that again. In its uncorrupted origin, which means in its purest form, anger is actually a form of love. Anger is love in motion to deal with a threat to someone that you love. Anger comes out as a form of motion to deal with the threat of someone or something that you truly care about. In many ways, it can be right. But oftentimes, anger is not connected to the right things. It is connected to the disordered things in our life and built around ourselves. So what Timothy Keller is saying is like, in its truest form, anger is an overflow of love. Because you truly care about somebody. God, when he gets angry about sin, the reason why he's angry about sin is he truly loves you and me. He truly loves you and I. And he hates the sin in our life that's corrupting and taking us down. The selfishness, the pride, the anger. But oftentimes, anger is focused on me. It's focused on my own pride, my own preferences. This person wronged me because they cut me off in the car. Or this person wronged me because they said something that was inappropriate. What are you angry about? Hebrews 12 says this, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The writer Hebrews says, don't let a bitter root grow up in your life. So anger, this resentment, this slow building anger in your life can one, cause a bitter root, but it can affect so many other people in your life. So many other people in your life. My, my uh, dad's side of the family is really messed up. Dating back to the 1830s, fathers have disowned firstborn sons in my dad's side of the family. Just fathers have just hated their sons over and over and over and over again. I remember growing up, my great-grandfather wanted nothing to do with his son. And for many years, my grandfather wanted nothing to do with my dad. Just a bitter root of anger destroyed generation after generation after generation for a variety of reasons. And it affected many. Many. I would venture to say probably hundreds of people. Anger can cause problems in your life. They can also hurt others. 
So what are you dealing with today? What kind of anger, what kind of frustration, what kind of resentment, what kind of unresolved conflict are you dealing with today? The way that Jesus feels about murder is the same way that we should feel about anger. It's wrong. And we need to deal with it. We need to deal with it. I know some people are dealing with anger today in in response to some awful and ungodly and evil things that's happened to you. In a room this size, I no doubt there has been things that have happened to some people in here that are awful. And I'm sorry for that. I'm just truly, truly sorry for that. And I want you to know that in the middle of those things, God loves you. In the middle of heartache and hardship and difficulty and tragedy, God loves you. We sang that earlier, the first song we sang, Raise a Hallelujah, in the middle of the storm. God loves you. And he cares intimately about you. So dealing with your anger does not validate what's been done to you. I think sometimes we want to hold on to anger and hold on to resentment and bitterness so that it can be, we can repay someone else's wronging to us. We want to hold on and be angry at them so that they can have like consequences put back on them for wronging us. That's just going to create a bitter root in our own life. Dealing with anger does not validate what's been done to you. Because we are not the ones that's going to bring justice for sin. That's God's job. God's going to be the one that deals with justice for sin on people's lives and things that have been wrong to you. But dealing with anger will only, if, if we don't deal with anger, it's going to become more and more destructive. More and more destructive. I'm going to close here in just a little bit. In Genesis, back in that that passage, Genesis chapter 4, with God's conversation with Abel, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? And then he says this, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. If we don't deal with anger, then sin is crouching at our door that's ready to take over our lives. It's ready to take over and destroy our lives. We can't live this life well we can't, we can't live this life well. We can't do our life perfect. But listen to this. Jesus has lived his life well. And he's done well. And you can be accepted because of Jesus. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what happened to your life 40 years ago, or 20 years ago, or yesterday, and everything in between, Not only does Jesus know, but Jesus hates the fact that you've been wrong. But anger is not going to fix it. Bitterness is just going to grow a bitter root in your own life. 
I'm not ignorant enough to think that, oh, we heard this message, everybody's just going to walk out the door and anger is just going to fall away. What I encourage you to do is ask the question, am I holding on to anger and bitterness and resentment and frustration in a way that's obviously not healthy in my life and creating a root of bitterness in my life that's going to fester and cause me problems for the rest of my life? You've probably seen people that have had things happen to them and they've, it's ruined their life. I know I have. Will you deal with your anger? Will you deal with your bitterness? Will you deal with your frustration? And lay it down and allow God to speak truth into the midst of pain and hurt and wrongdoing. We allow God to speak truth into that. Let's pray. Ben, you can come up. God, I... It hit me this week. Primary reason why anger... Primary reason why murder is wrong is the fact that you created human beings in this world to be an image bearer of the King. So Father, I pray that you would allow us to see your love for us and how that you care about our freedom. You care about our freedom and our own life. And you don't want roots of bitterness and anger and hatred to well up in our life that would take over and ruin our life. You want us to live with freedom. And so Jesus, I pray that you would just speak into our hearts. That those of us who are struggling and dealing with things, you know what they are. You actually know what each of us are struggling through. We're human beings, the human race, we're all struggling with something. And so Father God, I pray that you would speak into those things and give us freedom that you would give us freedom from our sins, from our heart. God, I pray that you would just make our hearts new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.